Thank you, Mako, for those prayers. And let me add my welcome to Pastor Brenda's. It's good to be with you all today. It's so good to worship in person. It has been almost four months since we've been together. And I can notice it most when I see the little ones, some that weren't walking before are now walking. I was like, wow, it has been a while. Um, I had like the first day jitters of like school today. I was up super early and I'm like, who's going to be there? Am I going to meet new people? What's it going to be like? It's been so long, but it's so good to be back with you. We start this new series on three essential prayers, and this week is on help. And sometimes the help prayers are some of our very first prayers that we offer. We know we need, you know, something beyond ourselves. We've maybe tried everything else and it hasn't worked. And so we pray, maybe not even knowing if there's a God that's listening, but we pray, help. Maybe we bargain with God. God, if you can just do this, then I'll do this. Because we're desperate. We don't see a way out. I was thinking through some of my help prayers, and one of the very earliest prayers I can remember um, was when I was about 12 years old, my parents went out, and they left me in charge of my sister, who was nine years old at the time. Now, whether that was a wise choice to give me that responsibility or not, I don't know, but I was in charge, and my sister and I were wrestling around, and we got into a pillow fight, and I swung the pillow, and it hit her in the eye, and the problem was, and I had never seen this as a 12-year-old. I'd still never seen this. It turned her eyelid inside out, and if you're squeamish, I apologize, but as a 12-year-old, I was freaking out, and so I went for the phone to call 911, and I'm like, Oh, man, my parents are going to kill me if the you know, ambulance comes and there's no way they're you know, going to not find out about this. And so before dialing you know, the ambulance, I did a quick prayer for help. God, please fix this. And, and then I look around at my sister, and she, she blinks her eye, and it actually folds back the right way. I was like, such relief. Thank you, Jesus, right? for covering for my irresponsibility uh, in that moment. And I don't know what prayers of help you have offered over your life or even in this season of COVID, but these prayers of help are in our scripture. And I've asked Mina to read Psalm 86 today. It'll be on the video. But what I'd like you to do is, as she's reading the text, imagine you yourself in the position of this psalmist offering this prayer to God. Let's have the reading of scripture now. Psalm 86, a prayer of David. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God, have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. 
Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realms of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Thank you, Mina, for that reading. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we dig into this scripture, that it becomes words of life for us, words of encouragement, words of challenge, words of help for us this morning, God. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you help us to to discover and to apply and to live out these words. In your name, amen. So let's unpack a bit this prayer of help from the psalmist here in Psalm 86. Verse 1 is, hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. The psalmist begins his appeal to God, and he describes his condition as poor and needy, right? Not as proud and got everything together, I've got it all figured out, because those are not the places of our heart that we pray for a prayer of help. He recognizes his need in that moment. Now, the title of this sermon series, Help, Thanks, and Wow, comes from a book by Anne Lamott. And she says this, Most good, honest prayers remind me that I am not in charge, that I cannot fix this, and that I open myself up to being helped by God, by friends, by something God provides. And that's what these help prayers are. They open us up for God to work. They recognize our dependence upon God. They invite us into humility. It can be difficult to ask God for help. It can be difficult to ask other people for help because maybe we don't want to depend on them. Maybe we don't want to rely on somebody else. We want to do it ourselves. And yet, these are prayers of desperation where maybe we've tried it already to do it on our own and it hasn't worked. And desperation can be a gift. It can be an opportunity where you hit rock bottom. Nothing else has worked. Maybe I'll give God a try. That desperation, that humility, open us up for God to meet us in that place. We've given up on our own self-rescue plan, our own do-it-yourself, fix it. We know we need something else, and God meets us in that place. Now, when we go to somebody for help, we can go with a couple of attitudes. We can go with the attitude of, you know, I am poor and needy, or we can go with an attitude of entitlement. 
everything I've done for you, you owe me, because we don't want to be in that downward position, right? Do you know how much I've done for you? You better help me out here. We can do that with people. We can do that with God. But when we bring entitlement into our relationships, it is the end of that relationship, having a sense of right, right? It takes away and undermines our faith. It breaks down hope and love between two people, and it becomes a transaction. You help me, I help you. And we miss the heart of that relationship. When I finished my undergrad at university, I felt going into that study that I was called to be a youth director. And I went there with that hope I'd finished, and I started applying to places. We lived in Chicago at the time, and, and that's the location that we needed to stay. Erica was in grad school, and it was door closed, door closed, door closed. And I was like, God, I've responded to your call. I'm doing the things that I thought I was supposed to be doing. You owe me, right? I did this for you. Where are you now? And as much as I was praying for help, it was in this position of entitlement and I wasn't really open to what God might do in that moment. I wanted him to come through in the way that I wanted him to come through. And some of you have heard that story. That's a story for another time. But as I was thinking about this idea of entitlement this week, I was reminded of my own entitlement that I have to resist. Jesus tells us to stay in the position of a beggar, somebody hungry, somebody wanting and thirsting for the living water. And he wants to meet us in that place of need. When we come to God with desperation, it allows us the chance to set down our pride and to pick up humility. When we pray prayers of help, we've admitted defeat, that we can't do it on our own. The psalmist continues their prayer. In verse 5, says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. The psalmist can pray a prayer of help because they know God's character. They know that he's abounding in love. He's forgiving. He's good. This word hesed, this, this committed love. He knows God's character. He knows God is near, and so he opens himself up and wants God's help. He depends on the very nature of God. This is why it's important for us to know who God is, that he is dependable, that he is trustworthy. He continues in verses 8 through 10, and I, I want to focus in on verse 9 there. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. There's this recognition that he is a unique God. He is the God of gods. He is Yahweh. He is the one who comes near. He is the creator God, and he is more powerful than all these other spiritual powers. And he says, one day, all the nations, all the peoples will worship you as that God. Now, we know that this has not yet happened, and yet it has begun to happen. We celebrated the resurrection last week, and Jesus is that first fruit of the resurrection, that first fruit of new creation. He has shown us that his kingdom is coming. It's not fully here yet. There is still evil and injustice, but we're invited in to that transformation. Revelation picks up um, Psalm 86, 
in Revelation 15, the same words here that we have just read. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord Almighty. All nations will come and worship before you. Our God is committed to us. He's committed to redeeming us and this world, all of creation. And we get to be a part of that. So this is a, a prayer of help. It's a prayer of dependence. It's a prayer of saying, God, you are worthy to be praised. One day, everybody will praise you. He continues in verse 11. He says, teach me your way, Lord. Teach me. When is the last time you have prayed that to God or asked somebody, teach me? If you're asking God to teach you or, or somebody else to teach you, it means that you have something to learn, right? Something to learn in the situation, maybe undoing some type of learning that you've had. Maybe you've picked up a lie. Maybe you're just not sure how to walk through this. But again, it requires humility. It requires, instead of saying, yeah, I've got this all figured out, you know, maybe even when you know you don't, it says, teach me, God, teach me. We have to admit that we are not in control of the outcome, that it's beyond us, that we press into God. I was praying that prayer this week in a conflict with a friend I was having, and I was like, okay, I need to set down the way I think this needs to go and open my heart to God and say, teach me, God. I am missing something here that I need to learn. Many of you know Christian and Yumana, and, and Christian works at HKU, and um, I've asked him to share a bit of a testimony of a prayer for help that he offered in this last season. Let's watch that video now. Hi, my name is Christian. I'm the warden of a student dorm at Hong Kong U. Several times a year, the residents meet for what we call high table dinners. These dinners serve both re relational and educational purposes. Last fall, I used the occasion to hold a property banquet. Residents were randomly assigned to three different tiers of meals. The 1% had a fancy five-course meal, they were the middle class, and the majority of them were in the grassroots tier. The grassroots group was made to believe that they were only going to be served a piece of toast and a hard-boiled egg. But of course, that was just the cover story. We fed them well afterward. The objective of the experience was simple. We wanted to remind them of the reality of inequality, we're hoping to create a memorable evening that is both fun and somewhat meaningful. That was a time when Squid Game was the most talked about show, even made it into sermons, or so I recall. To add some flair to the evening, we added a few games for those in the grassroots to play several games in order to advance into the middle class. The organizers even wore costumes. But the outcome was far more complex. We certainly anticipated young people to be triggered by unfair treatments, but the magnitude and intensity far exceeded our expectations. Even before entering the venue, when they learned about the plan, some became furious. They start yelling at us and calling us names. Some deliberately defy instructions. Some decide to walk out uh, from the venue en masse. It was chaotic. The student leaders who were running the event panicked, and some even became tearful. I felt a sense of failure and guilt after all, I was one who put these student leaders through this. In the middle of it, I called my wife, Yumana, and asked her to pray. I wanted to disappear completely, but I still had 300 people I had to feed and attend to. The show must go on. 
For the rest of the evening, I walked from table to table, group to group, trying to listen to the disgruntled students. Some were willing to talk, but others looked away and won't even acknowledge me. Through those very uncomfortable conversations, I learned about the injustice these students are experiencing in their lives. I got to hear how they perceive the state of our city and the world. I was also comforted by a few residents who had a great time and congratulated us for our effort. Many students made clear that they despise our plan and even me as a person. They demanded an explanation. They wanted a public hearing. Many of these public forums I've been through over the years ended up becoming a public grilling or finger pointing match. My conscience was clear. I didn't see why I had to subject myself to their condemnation, so initially I declined the request. During those weeks, I was praying intensely and specifically for God's peace and wisdom. My innate response would be to be defensive and even retaliate. After all, the chaos was at least in part caused by the students' misunderstanding, their unwillingness to cooperate, and their sense of entitlement. Through prayers, however, it was made clear to me that as their warden, the buck stops with me. I had to face the crowd, whom I'm responsible for educating. I saw it as my duty to use this episode as a teaching moment. I agreed to their request and attended the forum for them to raise their dissatisfaction and questions. I expected mayhem, but the forum was surprisingly uneventful. Their questions, while caustic, were addressable. Uh, I was able to remain calm and generous. I couldn't say that we left singing Kumbaya, but the opp opportunity to dialogue seemed to have quenched their appetite for destruction. During this whole episode, many brothers and sisters prayed for our students and me. I didn't want this cup, but I surrendered to God. He was my only shield and shelter. Looking back, it has always been trials such as this one that strengthened my faith. And in his timing and his mighty way, he always delivered me. The outcome has never been happy ever after, and I'm sure I'm still very unpopular among some of my residents. But my relationship with God always grows as a result. And in fact, I see his goodness and experience his comfort. It is my prayer that I remain a good witness for Christ in these trials. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Christian. I think he's, well, he's out with, uh, <laughs> with Sunning right now. He is here in the, in the service. And thank you, Christian, for sharing um, from your heart and through that challenging time and your prayers of help to God. When we pray for help, uh, oftentimes we're praying for somebody else, that God might change somebody else, that God might change a situation. But we can also pray for ourselves and our own transformation. And wouldn't it be nice if we could kind of engineer our own transformation? We could make out our own, you know, five-year plan. God, this is how I want you to transform me. That would be a mistake, right? It would be very controlled. It would be very systematic. It would probably keep all of our facades and defenses in place. If we want to be transformed, it means inviting God to be the center of that process, to walk us through experiences we might not want, for him to use experiences in our lives to grow us. It'll bring us into places that we would not choose to go on our own, but when we're in those places, we can depend on God afresh and anew and say, help, I am in over my head. 
I need you. See, if we keep control of our own process of transformation, we might not get down below the surface. We might keep everything at a safe distance. We might not get to the issues that God wants to grow in us. If we don't go below the surface, then we're just going to deal with the surface, the behaviors that we don't like, but not get at the transformation that's underneath. See, God wants to transform us. He wants to go deep into the heart of the issue and not just to remove it, not just to remove whatever the struggle is, anger, insecurities, jealousy, or greed, not just to remove it without putting something else there, right? He wants to put the peace of Christ within us. He wants to put into us an identity instead of insecurity. He wants to, instead of greed, he wants to put a spirit of generosity in us. And when we open up ourselves for God's work, that's what he wants to do inside of us. He wants to go deeper. I've shared stories of some of my growth through anger, especially when I'm on my bike and taxis are cutting me off and some unkind thoughts or words might come out of my mouth. And I've been growing on that. But if I'm just trying to eliminate the behavior in that moment, then I haven't dealt with the heart. So it requires me to slow down and stop, to talk, to get advice, to go deeper. And that's the work that God wants to do in us. See, if we try to deal with it on our own strength, it's just sort of our willpower, right? And, and our willpower is very finite. It's not enough to sustain. It's not enough to transform. God wants to actually go deeper into our hearts and lives and transform. And that's a prayer of help that we can offer up to God. The psalmist continues with verse 15, and he says, But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Again, he turns to God as the one who he can come to for help because he is all of these things, right? He is all of these things. In our men's group on Saturday, we were talking about Jesus's restoration of Peter, which we had talked about Peter's denial during Holy Week, right? Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, never me. I'm not going to do that. And then what does he do? He ends up denying Christ. So Jesus meets him at the seashore, Peter. He creates a charcoal fire with fish. He welcomes him to the meal. And that's a way of welcoming, of hospitality, of accepting, of including. And Jesus restores him. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Of course, Jesus knew Peter loved him. He's not asking him three times just so he can hear it. I think he's trying to convince Peter, Peter convince himself that he really does love Jesus. And he's still called to that mission. See, if I were Jesus, if I were at the center of that transformation, I'd be like, Peter, man, I told you three times, right? Before the rooster crows, you're going to do it. And you were in denial, and then you did it. How could you be so dumb, right? But God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. He's abounding in love, and so he meets us. He creates this atmosphere of grace for us to be transformed, to allow us to, to let down our guard, to put down our defenses, to invite him into that transforming work. Now, we're not in control 
of the process of transformation, but we still play a part. I can remember some of my prayers in school. Dear God, please help me do well on this test. It's not a bad prayer, right? It would have been a better prayer had I actually studied for the test, right? <laughs> We're still a part of the process. If I haven't studied for my test and I only offer up a prayer, I, it's kind of half-hearted, right? Um, and if I'm wanting a better marriage and I pray, God, give me a better marriage, but I'm not willing to do the type of work that helps me to be a better spouse, my heart is not really into it, right? I want God to do a miracle, but I don't actually want to be transformed in the process. God wants us to be involved in the process of transformation. It might mean getting counseling. It might mean talking with your life group, visiting with a pastor. See, we often will want God to change the other person, right? To change the situation or the circumstance. But most often, God wants to change us. He wants to transform us. And we can offer that prayer of help to him. Because God might not change the circumstance. You might not get the job you wanted. Your marriage might not go the way you had hoped. Your child might not choose the things you would choose. But God doesn't leave you or abandon you. On Easter last week, we looked at this passage where Jesus was with Mary and Martha and Lazarus had died. And Martha comes out to greet Jesus and says, if only, if only you had changed the situation or the circumstance, if only you'd gotten here earlier, right? It's her prayer for help that she wanted God to change the situation. And what does Jesus himself say? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's offering life to Martha and then to Mary. He's offering to give them life, to bring transformation to them. Even though he didn't answer in the time that they wanted, he is still with them in it. Saying help to God can allow us to, to give over the suffering that we're walking to, to something bigger than we are. It can acknowledge that this is beyond me and I need your help, God. I was especially aware of the many prayers of help that I had this week. Praying for Maya as she starts a new job. Praying for this conflictual situation. Praying for healing for somebody. It begins to shift something in myself when I can bring these to God. I don't have to carry it all on myself. Jesus, when he left, when he ascended, he says, I am going to send somebody that will be your help. And that help is the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus says that he will answer our prayers, but if we've lived long enough and prayed long enough, we think, I don't think he's answered everything. And this isn't a sermon on unanswered prayer. We've done that before. God might answer yes to your prayer. He might say no. He might say wait. You might not get the response that you can understand but God does give us his Holy Spirit. I love this quote um, from Richard Rohr. He says, as Jesus says in Luke's gospel, the answer to every prayer is, on the, same, is the same and the best. It's the Holy Spirit. God gives us power more than answers. His every response is, yes, the Holy Spirit, I am sending you. 
Your situation might not change, your circumstance might not change, but you will be gifted with the Spirit to walk through it in a way that is different than you could on your own. Jesus himself tells us that the Holy Spirit, the advocate or helper whom the Father will send, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said. That's why in Psalm 46, the psalmist can say, God, you are a refuge, you are the strength, you are an ever-present help in trouble. Now, in these three weeks, we don't want to just talk about prayer. We actually want to pray. And I hope that in these three weeks that it'll be a time for you to pray, maybe more than you have been, maybe in new ways than you have. In the service itself here, we're going to go into a time of ministry, and um, we'll have our prayer ministers come forward, and, and they could come forward now. Pastor Brenda and I will be here as well. And the worship team is going to play. And so this will also be the time where you come up and pick up your communion elements. Don't partake of the elements yet. Pastor Brenda will come up um, in a little bit and walk us through communion. But do come up and get your communion elements. And if you would like to be prayed for, maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's your own help prayer for you. Maybe it's a help prayer for a friend. Uh, maybe it's something they're going through, a family member, a friend, and you want to not walk this journey alone. Don't leave today without getting prayer. So make use of the prayer ministers today, and the worship team is going to lead us. If you'd like to sing, if you'd like to reflect, if you'd like to be prayed for, this is God's time to do a work here, friends. Let's continue in our worship.